politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and minimen standing at the ready to guard our liberties, to fight for a new refuge for freedom. Once again, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for Thursday, April 14th, the day Abraham Lincoln got shot. It was also the date that the Titanic was struck. And watching my fellow colleagues today in conservative media, of which increasingly I don't consider myself a part of, it's almost like those people playing the violins as the Titanic was going down. They focus on every ephemeral news story of the day with like almost like attention deficit disorder without having any short-term, mid-term, long-term vision of what they want to do. So today it's all Elon Musk. Oh, Elon Musk is going to save us Twitter because that's their whole world because social media is not just a means but an ends. The end is my talking point for the day and then I start a new day and I reset my talking points. There are so many things going on that are crushing our bodies, our life, liberty, property, civilization, safety, security on so many levels, family, culture. I don't even know where to begin. But one of the things I want to address, one of the most noxious elements of this cultural Marxist agenda is critical race theory, but not just as a curriculum in schools, but embedded in every area of policy, politics, law, and culture to the point that it has given rise to black nationalism and black supremacism, and it's time we call that out by name. I'm sick of the cowardice on the pseudo-right for so long that not only didn't they address this, but they agreed to the premise of, oh, yeah, we need to give in to all this stuff, oh, criminal justice reform. No, it's just the opposite. For every one white supremacist, there's a thousand the other way, but the difference is the former are fully discredited and marginalized by society, whereas the latter is allowed to operate, not only allowed to operate openly, but is fueled and exacerbated by a blood libel that it's really more of a white supremacist problem, which further creates a grievance lobby to further juice up an entire generation of many black youth um, that have this false notion that they're under attack and therefore go on to attack. And I want to broach this issue today that all too many others refuse to talk about, but we are going to talk about it. And I, I want to frame this before we get into the Brooklyn shooting and many other similar attacks by black supremacists that you haven't heard about, and I probably haven't heard about. These are just a few I just want to frame it by saying earlier this morning, the Biden administration announced that 90 federal agencies released a plan basically to tip the balance of public policy towards blacks or at least away from whites, all sorts of different things. And here's just an example. DHS, they submitted something saying that they're engaging with them, proving underserved communities access to grant programs and help counter domestic violent extremism to better address the terrorism-related threat to our country posed by white supremacists and other domestic terrorists. But if you look carefully, 
nearly every one of the recent mass attacks were committed by black supremacists. And the more they engage in this blood libel of this mythical white supremacism, the more you're going to have this going on. And this is a big deal. Look, I am not one who's into hate crimes. I'm not one who is who wants to do what the left does in the other direction and obsessively point out the race of every criminal perpetrator or mass attack uh, a terrorist because it doesn't matter. In our world, and, and you're going to see every one of the ones we're going to talk about, they had massive crim- criminal records. If you actually had a true three strikes in your outlaw, if you actually deterred and locked up uh, violent career criminals, you would prevent 90% of, of these attacks. So that's what it is. It's just really more of, of a jailbreak issue. But to the extent that you have, you know, racially animated crimes, identity animated crimes, you know, what we don't want to do is start pointing that out in a way that you're like, man, we need to start policing hateful speech, right? Because it's very dangerous. A person has the right to get up there and say, I hate whites, I hate blacks, I hate this, I hate Catholics, I hate Jews, I hate anything, I hate people with green eyes. People have the right to be hateful. But on the other hand, we typically count upon society and culture as a whole to marginalize that behavior to kind of keep it in check, right? Not legally that you're going to, you could deny service or certainly arrest someone for it. But yeah, I mean, we're going to say we're obviously going to marginalize you. We certainly know if anyone is a white supremacist legitimately or illegitimately, but certainly legitimately, um, they're going to be marginalized and even criminalized. But yet we have cases of the most virulent anti-white speech that actually does border on crossing that line sometimes, directly inciting violence, and it's allowed to persist, and these people are mollycoddled. No such societal check exists, and in fact, when you have the government embedding every aspect of law and policy into this critical race theory, it's not just a theory, but it has real-life consequences, and they're deadly. It's no different from COVID and biomedical terrorism. When you tell everyone that people that don't get certain shots or don't wear a mask are subhuman and are causing you death, that's an extremely dangerous thing. That's what the Nazis did. Same thing with race. If you start really saying, you're under attack. These people of this color are attacking your color. That's extremely dangerous. But that's what our government and society and media have been fueling forever. That is an old-fashioned blood libel. They're projecting their views on everyone else and then and then really damaging a generation of people. And then, you know, because of the perpetual per, perpetuating of the welfare state and other sickening policies and policies in America's big cities. So unfortunately, you do have a lot of misery in a lot of black communities. So it's the perfect recipe to feast on 
fear, suspicion, conspiracy, that, oh, it's the white man's fault. It's the Jew boy. The Jews own the banks. That type of deal. So with that, I want to go on to Frank James. If you would do Men on the Street, how many people have heard of Frank James, the Brooklyn shooter? I guarantee you less than five in a hundred would have heard of him, even though it just happened. And in a few weeks from now, it will be less than one in a hundred. Okay, this is a pretty big deal. So we had this on April 12th. James allegedly opened fire on a subway car, started massively shooting, set off smoke bombs. He seemed to have other weapons with him. Amazingly, none of the people shot died, and I don't think any of them will. I think some were in severe critical condition. So part of the miracle is that one of his magazines jammed. I don't know, I, I don't know what gun he had. Maybe it is public. I haven't seen it. Um, I think it was a handgun he used, and it jammed. But this is a big, big story. Millions of people ride the New York subways. And yet it's out of the news. Like all of these big attacks that we have that are out of the news. And right when I saw on Tuesday, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like this is going to wipe out the news. So, you know, I'm working on the vaccine stuff and this and that and the border. I was like, okay, this is going to predominate the news cycle for the week. And then throughout Tuesday, nothing happened. And then I said, I think I got my answer. I know where this is coming from. So this guy they arrested... Andy Ngo of Post Millennial, he put out all this, um, all these postings from this guy on social media, and he put out a whole video, F you and your white rear end, you white racist mother blank, slanty-eyed effing P, I guess he's going, then he started going on Asians, and then he went on to Spanish-speaking mother blank, so he hated everyone. He put on a whole video before he uh, did the shooting. Um, all sorts of things with him. He praised uh, the killing of five Dallas cops a few years ago by a black supremacist. Um, oh, black Jesus, please kill all the whiteies. All that sort of stuff. Okay? So there's three dueling narratives here that are very important, which is why you don't want they, they don't want you to hear about the story. Number one, he was known to the FBI when he was in New Mexico. So it's yet another example of every single um, mass attack committed. They have like they're batting a thousand. They have a hundred percent record here. Every single one was known to the FBI. They did nothing because they're too busy going after garage doors and and uh, concocting kidnapping plots and you know, going after political dissidents. But, so there's the FBI angle. There's the censorship social media angle where they're literally able to call for killing whites on social media and get away with it. So now that he was arrested for committing the mass terror attack, they took down his account on YouTube. But until then, they had no problem with it. Kill whitey, that's, that's fine. But then there's... Well, actually, it's four narratives. The third one is he, he was arrested nine times before, of course. So that's the jailbreak. And the fourth one is the rise of black supremacism, black nationalism. So many of these people. Could you imagine if you had a guy who was white and said, kill all blacks, and he went on to commit this? 
And then all the ones we're going to talk about today, could you imagine, I want your brain to think about what would happen. It's not just the media cycle. It would have catalyzed like legal civilization changes. We'd be in concentration camps if you would have all these attacks that you have the other way around. He uh, was promoting BLM, Black Liberation Army, Nation of Islam. He actually criticized Judge Brown Jackson, you know, was just put on the Supreme Court for marrying a white person. And again, it was never taken down. No problem. So that is the news of the day. But what I'm telling you is I'm not just decrying double standard, this and that. This is very dangerous. When you have a government, I, I'm not concerned about, again, when it's natural, I just, you know, you, you, you do the crime, you do the time. I'm not worried about the motivation. It's going to deter 90%. The rest of the 10%, society usually keeps it in check. But if you have every area of government inducing and fueling this, everything they say about white supremacism being a, a, a threat is actually true of black supremacism because government is not just not deterring it, but they're actually encouraging it. So I want to delve into this a little bit more today. And again, if we have time, I want to get into some of the latest news on the bioweapons. But folks, again, I'm very excited to announce our from one of our sponsors, Patriot Academy. May 22nd, I just booked my flight out for our five-day Constitution defensive handgun training at the NRA Whittington Center in Colfax County, New Mexico. Again, it's May 22nd, starts on Sunday, goes through Thursday. Uh, Rick Green of Patriot Academy offers a unique combination of intellectual, intellectual, I can't talk today, and physical training that you can't find anywhere else. It's so much fun. The instructors are amazing. You learn how to draw from the holster, accurately shoot, proper grip, um, trigger control, sight alignment, all that stuff, clearing malfunctions, and, and the camaraderie is amazing. Being out in the desert with fellow patriots, you'll meet me, other members of this audience, other patriots around the country. We'll have about 100 people out there, so space is limited. It's 80% off the normal price for such training, which is usually very expensive. Make a vacation out of it. Travel around that area. You know, it's not too far from the Rockies in um, uh, Colorado, beautiful country. So join me and Patriot Academy, May 22nd. That's patriotacademy.com slash Daniel to find out all the information on accommodations. Um, if you have any questions, you can email me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Again, that's patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Hope to see you guys there. So, by the way, one other thing I forgot to mention, one other quote here. Um, in one of the videos that Frank James put out on his YouTube channel that was allowed to you know be there for months, he called blacks slave culture, meaning that they weren't rising up and doing more mass shootings. And, and there's a lot of these people, there's a lot of that sentiment that's posted online. This is not unique, where they're saying that blacks aren't doing enough to attack whites. There has to be more mass shootings to make a N-I-G-E-R understand. It's not about the shooter, it's about the environment in which he's in. He has to exist. Um, he talked about, uh, I've been through a lot of stuff where I can say I wanted to kill people. I wanted to watch people die in front of my face. 
But there's a very interesting thing. I do want to add this before we go on to the black nationalism angle, just from the jailbreak deterrent angle. But I thought about the fact, hey, man, I don't want to go to no effing prison. I thought that was very interesting that he didn't want to go to prison. There are some people that are willing to whatever, you know, die for their cause. But I always said, if you would actually, if it would be known, I mean, your first violent crime, you're really put away for a long time. Your second or third, you're put away forever. And you commit any murder, and certainly a mass murder, you get the death penalty, not in 25 years, but in 6 to 12 months. It would take a lot of the glory out of it. I can't say it would deter 100%. It would deter overwhelmingly the majority of them. So that's just an interesting point that a guy like this was actually scared of going to jail. So um, here's the deal. I wanted to remind you guys the extent of these black supremacist attacks that have gone on recently, and you haven't heard of them. And again, these are just some of the huge ones that you think would be huge news. Certainly the smaller ones, I probably haven't heard of a fraction of them. Obviously, we have Waukesha. We've all, we've all forgotten about that. That's a pretty biblical-level tragedy. You have a Christmas parade, and this was last November. Daryl Edwards Brooks is accused of plowing through the parade, running people over. He killed six, injured a number of others, many seriously. And he has a paper trail of similar grievances to Frank James, all sorts of black supremacist, you know, uh, black liberation theology, Farrakhan type of stuff. And, and of course, he also had, you know, was just let out without bail. Crazy, crazy violent criminal record. They go together. And this guy committed the attack two days after Kyle Rittenhouse's Acquittal, which, if you remember, is next door in Kenosha. This is Waukesha. This is right near there. Again, could you imagine two days after George, George Floyd's, or, or what's his name, um, the conviction of the cop in Floyd's killing in Minnesota, next to Minneapolis, you would have a white guy plowing down a black parade. All black parade. Two days after that. Again, we would be in concentration camps. Yet now, if you tell people Waukesha attack Daryl Edwards Brooks, you know, 99 out of 100, if not 999 out of 1,000 would tell you, what what is that? I don't know what that is. Okay, just two months ago, a BLM activist, known activist, by the way, Quintez Brown, he uh, went into the campaign office of Craig Greenberg, who is a Louisville mayoral candidate. He it was a clear attempted assassination. Um, amazingly, the bullets only grazed his shirt, but he, he wasn't struck. He came with extended magazines. He clearly came to kill. He was actually let out on 100,000 bail. Can you imagine a political assassin? Think about everything going on with January 6th. Let out on 100,000 bail. And that was posted by a BLM umbrella group. One of Brown's Twitter bios read, We have one scientific and correct solution, pan-Africanism, the total liberation unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Um, and again, it wasn't lost on him that you know this mayoral candidate happened to be Jewish. 
that's a big part of this. You have to understand that's a big, big part of this. Um, the the degree of Jew hatred among this group of of black nationalists is huge. And again, there's no such thing as an anti-Semitic black nationalist who is not also, in general, anti-white. It's it's part of it. It's just that it's kind of the same thing. They just view Jews as being super white in 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 the way they view everything. That they really control everything, and all their grievances are a result of that. So that's another thing that the media has just men have they tamped down, and the FBI and everything. It's funny. Everyone is familiar with the fact that. Most of the racially targeted or, or religiously targeted uh, hate crimes, I believe it's about 58% according to the FBI, are directed at Jews. But what they don't talk about is who are the perpetrators. They ain't white, white supremacists, I can tell you that much. And in fact, it's so bad that in New York City, Jews account for the majority of all hate crimes, not just religiously targeted ones. And it's a huge, huge trend nobody wants to talk about, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I could tell you, growing up here in Maryland, you know, I have never gotten, you know, kind of anti-Semitic attacks or, you know, innuendo from a white person. It's exclusively from blacks, and it is deep-rooted, and to quote or paraphrase Senator Feinstein, former Senator Feinstein, the dogma lives loudly in them. It's not a majority of them, but it's way too many, and it's getting worse. And the government, rather than focusing on it, and I don't, I don't need a separate crime for that. You just deter crime. You're, you're going to deter it, deter it. But they need to stop fueling the racial grievances, the affirmative action, the anti-white policies at every lever of governmental power, policy, and law. But it's everywhere. This whole Farrakhan thing. I mean, Farrakhan used to be a big deal in the 80s and 90s, and then it kind of like fell off the radar. And then the last five years, it's really taken off again. Since Obama, really. You know, let's go through that. 2020, remember the Newark um, uh, attack? Was it Newark or one of those other um, cities? where you had this kosher store that was held hostage by David Anderson and Francine Graham, two members of the Black Nationalist Black Hebrew Israelite Church. You'll never hear any talk about that with DHS bulletins. And they actually had an initial plot where they concocted to bomb a Jewish community center there with enough explosive material that could have killed people five football fields away. No one was killed in the store, but in the end, they did wind up shooting dead uh, a local police officer. A few months before that, you had Grafton Thomas, another guy who had all sorts of materials from black Hebrew Israelites, writings with swastikas in possession. Um, I don't even know what the Kate, what, you know, he's pled, pled insanity. I don't know what the latest with him is. You can look it up. But Grafton Thomas, he was charged with murder. Um, in Muncie, New York, a couple, I guess, a couple miles over there from that other attack a few months earlier, he charged into a Hanukkah party with a machete, killing one and injuring several others. Just last week, Dion Marsh, 27, 
allegedly told his family Jews were the real devil and warned of a bloodbath before running out and running down, I guess, with his car, two people, and then stabbing a Jewish man in the chest in Ocean County, New Jersey. Okay, none of this. You, you won't hear about any of this. Remember, whatever you hear from the government and media, the opposite is true. If they're obsessing about a trend, white supremacism, white supremacism, that means the opposite is happening. And but, but the tragedy is the more they fuel that, the more it actually will exacerbate the true nationalism and supremacism that's not just sentiment. Because re- remember, I want to say like, even when you talk about legitimate people that you know hold problematic views, everyone's into this Nick Funtes guy, right? He he denies the Holocaust or questions the Holocaust. Well, yeah, obviously I disagree with that. He doesn't seem like a very nice dude. But am I worried that a guy like that is going to go out and kill people? There's no evidence of that. So even the worst elements that they focus on, there's very few of them that have actually gone kinetic. Whereas these guys are kinetic. They're violent as anything. And the thing is, typically when you have like kind of the white mass shooter or like an Arab terrorist guy, they're harder to deter because often that's their first time. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these Arab terrorist attacks, it's not like they've committed a lot of street crime before that. Most of the black nationalist types, they've committed a tremendous amount of street crime. They could have totally been taken off the streets. Then there's the other attack that we've all, for even I forgot about until recently. I was like, wait a minute. The Capitol Hill attack. Yeah. The only attack on the Capitol Hill that actually directly killed a police officer. Not January 6th. No police officer was directly killed from that. Despite what the media tells you. April 2nd, 2021, just a couple of months after January 6th, Noah Green, a self-declared follower of Farrakhan, rammed two police cars at a checkpoint on the hill, resulting in the death of Officer William Evans and the injury of another before he was shot by police after he exited the car with a knife. Now, there's no memorials for Officer Evans that I know of that are used as a political tool, tool to invade against black supremacism, nor do we have any law enforcement programs among Capitol Hill police dedicated to monitoring the future Noah Green and Farrakhan's type of organizations. Then there's the rise of militias. Okay, so you have these kind of like career criminals that are, um, you know, a part of, just part of being a violent criminal. They also hate whites and maybe act out because of that. But then you have the militias. Now, you've been trained to think of anti-government, you know, um, white type of, of militias. But there's a rise in black militias. Okay? Last June, 29-year-old Othel Wallace was arrested for the execution-style murder of Daytona Beach officer Jason Rayner. I wrote about it at the time. He was associated with the NFAC Black Militia. Okay, what's NFAC? Not effing around coalition. That's what they call themselves. He was the new Black Panther Party and the Huey P. Newton Gun Club Alabama chapter. He was apprehended in DeKalb County, Georgia, and found heavily armed with grenades in a treehouse on the property of a group associated with this NFAC Black Militia. 
There's a fascinating article, if you want to Google it, NFAC Black Militia, The Atlantic, written in The Atlantic of all places. They interviewed John Fitzgerald Johnson. He was known as Grandmaster Jay. He was currently in jail after being charged with pointing a rifle at Secret Service and Louisville Metro Police. And The, and the Atlantic described um, the group. They joined a group that promised to take a bite out of the earth and reserve it for black people. They expect to be led by a commander who preaches radical separatism and who will swagger with an AR-15 in public and boast that his snipers can bisect a white militiaman's head from a thousand yards away. Jay told me that he already had to vet his recruits carefully. And one of the interesting things is since the Gulf War, there's been this thing in, in DOA, DHS, DOJ, to monitor and uh, all whites, white veterans that served in, in the military that want to use their training for white supremacism. And now they've consummated that with essentially kicking out every conservative from the, from the military. But there actually is a growing trend of gang members and, and black supremacist, black militia groups going into the military to get training and then coming out and using it, either for black nationalism or just the street gangs. Because the thing with the street gangs is they don't know how to shoot straight. They really don't. So um, that's that's part of it. Again, all trends you're not hearing about. So essentially, our government has allured this ticking time bomb and is inciting them to attack whites. That's what's happening every time they do this. Again, it's never a good idea to begin criminalizing speech, even hateful speech. But like I said, we count on culture to broadly shun those who engage in that behavior. White supremacy, we all know that any individual caught espousing those views will have the weight of the universe against him. No such deterrent exists against black supremacism. And in fact, they are indulged, encouraged, countenanced by government and culture at every turn. So folks, that is why they absolutely positively do not want to talk about anything related to the Brooklyn shooting. And they never will. And for good reason. Because it interferes with their inconvenient agenda. But for decades, the phony conservative movement has been pathetic. They've been pandering on this, agreeing to this. And by the way, just to know how embedded this is, if you go right now, a, a, a guy who's in the Marines but is getting out sent this to me, marines.mil, their front page. Go there right now. They have a new video up about the Marines. It's like a minute-long video. Listen to it. And tell me what you think of it. They talk about their um, positively impact diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you know what that means. That's the tip of the iceberg of their curriculum. That is all about critical race theory, black supremacism, or for the most part, denigrating and dehumanizing whites. For decades... The phony conservative movement would shun anyone who brought this up. Marginalize anyone. No, 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 you can't say that. What do you mean? This is a big problem. 
This is a very big problem. And for one, I'm not going to shy away from it. But this is an illustration of how you're never going to fix our government. Okay, we need a sanctuary state. We need to focus on making the reddest states truly red and living out our lives there. You're never going to fix all the things that we loved about America, like the military. It's done. We have to rebuild. Every minute that is not focused on harnessing an agenda and leverage towards that end goal is a waste of your time. So that's with the black nationalism. That's why you don't hear about Brooklyn. The other story you don't hear much about is Shanghai. And the reason is because people will realize, holy heck, that's where this biomedical state is headed, and I don't want that here. But folks, we already have that. Pfizer said in a couple days they're going to give us an EUA or submit an EUA, but they're going to give it to us because they're going to get it for a third shot for 5 to 11-year-olds that most of them had the virus already. It's a new virus. I'll be honest with you. Even I thought once the negative efficacy came about around the summertime, we started talking about it, I thought they would just come up with endless formulations of the shot to, to keep keep it going. I never imagined they would get away with the same formulation that has negative efficacy. Negative efficacy, and they'd continue getting away with it. But our politicians are bought out by Pfizer. Again, I don't want to hear about your defunding Planned Parenthood if you're embracing Pfizer. Pfizer is worse than Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood... You know, they're not forcing people to get their stuff. Pfizer is aborting live adults everywhere. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm pro-Planned Parenthood. I would defund them too. But I'm sick of the politicians that will only talk about that, but will be totally bought out by Pfizer. Okay? There's a two-minute clip. I don't have the clip here, but I have the article from News 9 in Australia. Queensland paramedics face three-hour delay for hospital access, leaving hundreds waiting for care. Okay? Paramedics were unable to respond to over 100 calls for help yesterday. Queensland Ambulance Services Commissioner Craig Emery said every effort was made to respond promptly. Um... And they say they had the highest number of calls ever recorded during the Omicron peak, 3905, but they almost reached it now with 3789. So first they're admitting that Omicron was devastating. How is Omicron, the least pathogenic version of this, devastating when everyone they have a, everyone's vaccinated there? I thought we were supposed to vaccinate and lock down to alleviate the burden on the hospitals, Yet they did it to a T like no other country did. And yet, not only were the hospitals trained, the ambulance services couldn't get enough. But now they're, they're saying it's not COVID because they're saying they're over that hump, but they're matching the peak of their COVID pandemic hump. With what? They don't say. 
They said the number of code one emergency calls, those are the worst, the most urgent, was 1559. So we're talking about 30, 40% increases. I don't know of any hospital system in the country that can prepare for a 30 to 40% increase in a single day, said Queensland's um, health director, whatever she's called there. 30 to 40% increase. They quote the ambulance service people, and they don't say what it is. Okay, you're, you're hearing a lot of news from Australia recently. They don't say what it is. Isn't that interesting? Folks, this is the pro-life issue of our time. Yet name me the Republican who's, who's harnessing that, maybe except for, for Ron Johnson. They're all on board with this. This is not okay. It's killing people. Now is easy to stand up for it. We did all the hard work. And they can't even call for an end to the shots for children even. Right? I mean, name me the Republicans running on this. Very few. And they knew about it. It's a willful death cult. Any Republican who doesn't condemn Pfizer... They are pro-abortion. They are anti-life. Think about this. I have in my hands a document. It's a 43-page document from the FDA called the Emergency Use Authorization Amendment for an Unapproved Product Review Memorandum. That's the name of the document. 43 pages on page 38. Unknown Benefit Data Gaps. Okay, so this is the FDA's own assessment of this months ago. The unknown benefits and data gaps associated with the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine when used in adolescents 12 to 15 years of age are the same as those detailed in the memorandum authorizing vaccine for emergency use in the individual 16 years of age and older. They relate to, so you might think, okay, the gaps we have are very minor, very in the weeds, very specific. Nope. These are bullet points. Duration of protection, meaning unknown. Effectiveness in certain populations at high risk of severe COVID. Now, I want you to think about that. Who is at high risk for severe COVID for 12 to 15 years old? That's extremely limited, and you're saying its effectiveness is unknown for that group. Well, that's the whole enchilada. Effectiveness in individuals previously infected with SARS-CoV-2. Future vaccine effectiveness is influenced by characteristics of the pandemic, changes to the virus, or potential effects of co-infections. Vaccine effectiveness against asymptomatic infection. Vaccine effectiveness against long-term effects of COVID-19 disease. Vaccine effectiveness against mortality. Vaccine effectiveness against transmission. (laughs) This was right there in the FDA's document. It works, but we don't know if it works in anything that matters. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. Look, if you can't cry, you got to laugh. So, you know, but the conservative movement and the Republican Party, they want to move on. Even as they continue to pump this poison into everyone. Again, negative efficacy is a huge problem. 
There's numerous, numerous papers were written on this. This is a whole other thing we mentioned earlier on and haven't talked about for a while. Go back to the 2000s, the previous decade. There were numerous attempts for years to get a vaccine for SARS-1. Now, I'm not taking a side as to whether SARS-1 was concocted or it was natural. And once it was natural, then they took an interest in the research and created more versions of it. I'm not sure what the answer to that is. But either way, they worked on vaccines for a while. And they, they never panned out. And the biggest reason is because of ADE. It was negative. Because the antibodies it induced were problematic. So there's a paper out, a Dutch paper out. It's titled, if you want to look it up, 2009, January 2009, Vaccine-Induced Enhancement of Viral Infections. It's a pretty serious thing. And they note dengue virus, um, vaccine-induced enhancement susceptibility to infection in certain viruses like feline coronavirus, dengue virus, feline immunodeficiency virus. It has been shown that antibody-dependent enhancement plays an important role. Other mechanisms may, either in the absence or in the combination with ADE, be involved. Consequently, vaccine-induced enhancement has been a major stumbling block in the development of certain Flavi, Corona, and then other, they mentioned other category, vaccines. That was known from day one. All right, maybe they cracked the code. But then after a few months, we saw it had that problem. And it went on and on and on. We've been talking about the ADE since July, okay, for nine months. And we're still at it. You know, in the 5 to 11 group, they announced in their press release today, Pfizer, that they're basing, so this is the new thing. They can't even forge data to show benefit to children, so their new thing is they look at tighter levels. Anti- so the whole thing was that we were told for years you can never base research off of in vitro, like you know, like blood levels, serum levels. You have to look at clinical outcomes, randomized controlled trials in a clinical setting, clinical outcomes. Did you have you know better symptoms, less mortality, things like that? So they can't show it. So now we're relying on antibody titers. But antibody titers are nonsense because antibodies are a problem with this vaccine. So like, hey, it had more antibodies in kids. Yeah, you know what that means? More negative efficacy and autoimmune and an insane amount of inflammation. All for something that they've already gotten over and doesn't affect them. I want to give you two data points on this. Ed Dowd. He's the Wall Street guru who's great at data analysis and he's gotten involved in this research. He put out, he, he tipped me off to, um, he put this out on his Twitter and, and Getter where you could find him at, you know, Edward Dowd. Walgreens evidently has a surveillance system. So they're forever testing people. So they have about a sample size of usually around 64,000 a week of tests conducted. So they give you positivity rates and number of tests and outcomes by age group and by status of of jab, not vaccinated, one dose, 
two dose within five months, less than five months, three dose within five months, three dose less than five months. So they had pretty good data there. Okay? If you could trust it, but this is Walgreens data. So we have all this negative efficacy we're seeing from, we saw it in Israel, we saw it in New Zealand, we certainly saw it in the UK and Scotland. They stopped putting it out because we were using it, we saw it in Canada. So the CDC got smart and they never put out the data in America. But guess who has the data? Walgreens. Very interesting. They have you know places all over the country and this is a large degree where people are going to get tested and to get jabbed. So they have both great information on positivity rates and on vaccination rates, and they have all the age cohorts and everything. And they have six different permutations, ranging from three doses within five months down to three less, two within, two out of five months, one dose, and then the sixth cohort is not vaccinated. They have by far the lowest positivity rate, 6.5%. What's also interesting is, as for the percentage of total positives last week, the unjabbed were just 17% of the total positives. If you look up in various data, Kaiser Permanente, Mayo Clinic, the government, CDC, they say 23% of the population is unjabbed. And likely it's 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 a little bit more than that. Because you have all the people that faked it, um, the people who did the plunge, you know, they would do it in the toilet. They got a doctor to do that for them. Um, there is reason why to believe government is inflating it, and we saw that in, in some branches of the military. It's certainly not more than what they're suggesting. That's what I want to tell you. So certainly to say 23% of the population is unjabbed, it could be 30, but it's not better than that. Yes, only 17% of the Walgreens data of the positives this week were on jab, less than their share of the pie. 30% of the U.S. has three shots, yet they accounted for 61.6% of the positives. Okay? That is a huge, huge deal. 65% of those age 5 to 11 have zero jabs. Right, which makes sense. Only 35% got one or two jabs among the 5 to 11 cohort. Now, that's 35% too many. It's still way too much. No one should have. But, you know, the majority are not. That's the only cohort that it's like that. Yet, according to Walgreens, they accounted for 39% of the positives. Okay? So the unjabbed 5 to 11-year-olds, again, is the majority, 65%, but they only accounted for 39%, meaning the 35% who were jabbed accounted for 61% of the positive cases. Straight up, their data, negative efficacy in a huge, huge way. And here's the important thing I wanted to bring out from this. Every time we bring this up, the fact checkers paid by pharma will will write a rejoinder to my articles and say, no, there's no evidence it's not working negative efficacy. I'll tell you what's happening. Basically, it's the vaccinated types that are going to get tested. But the, the unjabbed, those guys, 
they're a bunch of yahoos and they don't get tested. But in fact, Walgreens data actually shows they have a higher proportion of tests. They had the lowest amount of positives, highest proportion of tests. And that's, again, probably a big part of the reason that is not so much because they want to do it, that's because of the mandates. A lot of private public sector workplaces, if they're not directly saying you, you have to get the shot, they're saying if you don't get the shot, you have to get weekly tested. So if, if they really have a bunch of cases among the unvaccinated that's going undetected, we would find that. So that's not true. That is totally not true. So this is what we're finding. Negative efficacy. Then I wanted to share with you this piece written by Coquin Dichian. I don't know how to pronounce that. This guy, coquindichian.substack. So that is C-O-Q-U-I-N-D-E-C-H-I-E-N. I don't know who he is, but he did an unreal analysis of excess deaths, vaccination rates, and heart ailments in the state of Massachusetts. And I'm just going to read to you his takeaways. A very, very detailed piece. Very well done. There is an anomaly in all-cause deaths beyond the obvious 8- to 10-week spring 2020 pandemic. The anomaly lasted nearly all of 2021, but manifests visually only from July 2021 through the end of the year and continues into 2022. The first half of 2021, the anomaly was negated by the lack of 85-plus-year-old deaths, evident by the vertical line, blue stripe, yada, yada. The people affected in 2021 may be considered old, but they are younger on average than in the 2020 pandemic. In order to achieve an all-cause excess mortality of 10 to 20% during 2021, any single or a few multiple-cause increase would have to be higher in order to affect the all-cause full population denominator. Indeed, circulatory system issues are much higher and account for many excess deaths in the order of thousands, but are likely masked by the numerous bleeds and deposits of clots, yielding a smattering of different I and D and R codes. So in other words, sometimes it's really circulatory, but there's many other codes. And then he says sarcastically, no effort is made in this article to tie the C19 gene modification biological injectable product to a mechanism for the circulatory system deaths. Any doctor, scientist, or, or a pedestrian reader can make that inference from the overwhelming correlative data herein. There are tens of thousands of life years lost. So he did an analysis of life years lost in 2021 in excess of what was expected by any mathematical formula. And the point is, he basically shows how we went from respiratory deaths to circulatory deaths from 2020 to 2021 and into 2022. So they're all like, what do you mean COVID is causing heart problems? The problem is this. We definitely know it does to an extent. They're both bioweapons. But if if that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room and not the shots, why didn't we see that in 2020? Right from day one, we had in New York City the blood clotting in the hospitals with COVID. Right? That it's it didn't it didn't transmogrify into a circulatory disease in 
2021. I would argue the virus got more virulent for a period of time because of the enhancement, but the the clotting nature of it and the circulatory nature of it did not change. That was there from day one. It's similar to the military data, the DMED. You didn't see much in 2020. In 2021, it increased, and I think we all understand why. It's both the circulatory issues from people dropping dead from the shots, and it's also the fact that it created viral enhancement. This was known for decades. Finding some sort of gene, the gene sequencing, to concoct a thing to induce an antibody response is not a big deal, especially with the billions of dollars our governments have given to these companies that already have billions of dollars. They could do that fairly quickly. What takes a long time to get right is this type of stuff. Well, okay, you could create antibodies, but antibodies, if God doesn't do that, because God knows how to do it in the right measure, in the right place at the right time, antibodies are you know, attackers. They could attack your body. Inflammation, autoimmune, right? Cancers. Circulatory problems, microclotting. I'm not going to tell you I thought about these things before two years ago, but once you do, they're pretty obvious. Okay? So, that's basically what the switch that was turned on in 2021. And this was known from day one. And it was done on purpose. Hate to say it, but it was done on purpose. So a lot of other news is this pandemic treaty that the WHO is considering. We need states to, to nullify it. Daniel, states can't nullify it. It's in the Constitution. It's only Congress could do that. It's also in the Constitution that you have unalienable rights and you know, and, and in the Declaration. And if our government is going to go along with it, states need to part ways and go their own way. Hopefully tomorrow we're going to have Pierre Curie on. Any questions you have to ask him, shots, virus, anything, where we're going to head medically, let me know what your questions are. I will tease out that Corey dropped a bomb last night on the Wednesday night FLCC uh, podcast that the head of the airline pilots, pilots union told him that there have been a bunch of heart attacks midair and that there's pilots' health are deteriorating rapidly. We know this is happening in the military. So it makes no sense it wouldn't happen in the civilian world. So I just want you guys to understand the notion that something this big could happen and we would necessarily know about it is not true. Because we have so much going on and they have the ability to inundate us with so much, we know so little. And this is what my agenda is as opposed to the typical old school so-called conservative talk where they just focus on what they complain about the liberal media, but then they only focus on what they want you to focus on. And that colors their entire worldview, their strategy, and that's how they get back into Republicans, good, elections, nonsense. Here we're taking it to the next level every day. I need you to send this and every show, everyone you know. I'm, I, I guarantee you, whether you agree or disagree with everything I'm saying, you'll appreciate, oh, wow, this is not the typical banter right and left that I'm hearing every day. And this is what I strive to do. I understand there's so much else to listen to nowadays. 
And if you guys are going to take the time to do this, I'm going to take the time to give you quality information day in, day out. Thank you for listening. God bless you all. Till tomorrow, stay safe and stay informed. 